0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the professional association for UK film and TV directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy.
1: Thank you so much everyone for joining us. Uh, My name's Anna Bogatskaya. I'm a white woman of Slavic origin with shorter length dark hair and glasses. Um, I'm extremely excited to talk to Chai Vasarelli and Jimmy Chin, two directors who are personally responsible for worsening my vertigo with their Academy Award winning film A Free Solo. Um, I will never forgive you for that screening. Um, it's an absolute joy to talk to you both about your narrative debut, Nyad. Um, as Twain said, we're, um, we're going to chat for a little while and then I'm going to open it up to questions. But as we have a conversation, feel free to pop your questions into the Q&A box. And if there's many of them coming through, then I'll, I'll leave more time at the end for um, for your questions. Um, but to begin, can you both tell me when and how did you first hear about Diana Nyad?
0: Well, I first heard about Diane and I had, um, was in 2013, right shortly after she made her successful swim. Um, I was actually eight months pregnant at the time and had thoughts of like, well, if she could, she she could swim 110 miles, I can make it through this last month. Um, but it was only much later that we were approached about the project. And it was some enlightening producing where Tony Schwartzman and Andrew Lazar had seen Free Solo and thought, you know, we would probably, like this would be something that would be interested in. And I think for us, like we had explored this idea of individuals who push the limits of what's possible, but Mm -hmm. very much in the male experience. And we were looking for something that would allow us to explore those questions in a woman's experience. And Diana Nyad is just that individual. She's not afraid to pursue her dreams. She's not afraid to want something desperately. Um, And we just knew. And I think it also was... This confluence with an opportunity to create two very rich roles for two female actors.
2: Yeah, I, I grew up swimming competitively, and you know I had followed what uh, Diana had done, um, but I I didn't know the details of it, not to the degree that you know um, we we share in the film. So when we got the script, read the book. Both Chai and I knew that this would be uh, an amazing project um, because Chai and I have like sometimes very uh, differing points of view. And when they intersect, um, that, that's when we know it's something that um, we'll, we'll be able to dive into.
1: And can I ask you why did you you know this might have been a um, a confluence of opportunity, but why did you want to make this a narrative project as opposed to a documentary? A field that you had both excelled at, and also considering the amount of footage and materials that will, was available of Diana's um, feats. It's a good question.
0: Um, one, it would have been past tense, and you know we really do. Love, very Varieté documentaries and, you know, capturing something as it transpires. And also there was a very good film called The Other Shore that was made by her nephew. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was something about this challenge of how do you tell a true story in narrative fiction coming from a nonfiction background? That was exciting and interesting to us. Um, I think there was also this idea that it, it seems increasingly that people are quick to undercuts women's truths. And there is an opportunity here to play with what we know from nonfiction with in a narrative form that could somehow address that or like start to look at that question.
1: That's quite interesting. And I definitely want to come back to that a bit later when we talk about character. Um, But I'm specifically thinking of members who might be watching who might be moving from documentary to narrative filmmaking like you've done. Um, Can you share a little bit about the processes you adopted from documentary making that have been useful for this project or perhaps some challenges that you did not expect to come up against?
0: Well, I had worked in only one narrative feature previously, and that was over 20 years ago when I was Mike Nichols' um, assistant on Closer, and we actually were in London, shooting in London. And so I thought that everyone rehearses for over a month with Julia Roberts. And, you know, I thought everyone's process was that. She was very supportive. Um, I, I really, <laughs> I came, it, it was, it was the best film school I could have ever had. And. You know, so it was always about the text for us, about the words, about um, how to construct, construct the story. And I think like the main difference was suddenly, unlike in nonfiction, when when your job is really to be the closest possible observer, the warmest light that you could be watching someone with, um, and then you figure it out later. Suddenly, like we had these amazing partners and our actors who are as committed Mm -hmm. As we are probably and much far more talented than we are at conjuring these characters on screen, you know, bringing to life these characters. And that felt like a superpower. Suddenly it was like, I don't know, like we had our Iron Man suit on because we had this talent to work with. I think what gave us great strength um, in making this transition was the time that is required, at least in our docs, where we spend a lot of time editing. And I think that it really surprised our our NIAD post team how flexible we were and how curious we were to push the material, play it with no sounds, play it backwards, you know, whatever it was, because we were so used to what I like to call um, making chicken salad from chicken shit when you make documentaries, right? Like you need to work within the confines. And suddenly you had these other resources where you could really, I don't know, really stretch and push every possibility.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think folding your previous question into this question, you know, how how did we make that transition? How was it? I think, you know, we've made several—I don't know—five, six docs together. Chai's made ten. I don't know.
0: No, we've made this is our sixth film together, and I've made twelve. Yeah, something like that.
2: I mean, we we certainly understand um, the narrative arcs and stories and how to tell a story. But just, you know, as people who want to push themselves, narrative was a space that we knew we could kind of, you know, um, push ourselves in creatively and take what we knew and apply it in a new way. And, you know, I think a lot of what we have learned in our experiences as filmmakers you know transitioned very well to to making a narrative film i think you know when you're out filming for a documentary in a verite scene you know when you got the moment you know you can feel it when you've captured something sublime and that still applies when you're filming with actors you know you 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 can feel when something is true and authentic and real um, and that that instinct is is still I think very much alive and the same in in both both uh, non-fiction and fiction films.
1: Um, that's incredibly interesting because I, I completely get what you mean and I'm curious about how you apply that instinct of knowing when you've Got something, when you've got the shop, when you've got the moment um, to performers, actors with the caliber of a Jodie Foster or an Annette Benning, and particularly in the case of Diana, this very extreme character who's constantly pushing so hard, you know, pardon the pun, against the tide um, and everything that's kind of set against her. How do you work with the planning and the orchestrating that needs to happen? in a shoot of that scale with actors of that level with allowing yourself the freedom to see, just work on on the instinct that you've developed to know when you've got the shot or the scene.
2: You know, I think the same thing applies for both in the sense that it's so much about prep. It's so much about creating the space. It's so much about being ready and when you actually start filming, whether that's kind of creating the space in a verite scene and having established that trust where, you know, um, your subject can let down their guard and be themselves. Like you are really trying to create a runway for your talent, whether that's, you know, someone in a nonfiction film or a film, I wouldn't call it talent, but your subjects. And that is true across both worlds um you know specifically like logistically it might be a little bit different but in some ways you know it's very much the same as like creating a space for them to have those moments and so you know slightly different when you have a 400 person crew and you're shooting in a tank and there's special effects but it does still apply. Like you have to put in the prep work. You have to know exactly what you want. You need to kind of create um, a space. And from there, you know, you let things unfold.
1: And could you talk a little bit about um, Annette specifically and working with her and the character of Diana? Um, How did you picture this project and you know, to tack on to that another question, what was the most important thing about Diana that you wanted to make sure she communicated to us through her performance?
0: It had to be Annette. We always knew it had to be Annette. One, we were incredible, we were committed to casting age appropriately. Mm. And we needed an actor who was going to be unafraid to play a woman in her full complexity. Mm-hmm. We need an actor who took her crap so seriously that she would put in the grueling physical work that was going to be required to prepare for the role. And, you know, Annette Benning is such the consummate professional, and she really was unafraid um, to play someone who was not always likable. And it was always something very clear to all of us. Like, it, it was like we were a team that was going to protect the character of Diana and not feel fall kind of victim or feel like that we have to satisfy this idea of a likable woman or like, you know, somehow making her live more in her femininity or any of that. Like, so, you know, I think we were always on the same page. Um, What we couldn't have predicted was really the amount of dedication Annette brought to her training. Like she's trained for over a year and you can't, I don't know, you can, you can only hope for that, right? Like, in, And it was the pandemic. It wasn't like Annette wears like tight clothes so we couldn't see if she was getting fit. And she just said she was swimming. And when she got in the pool that first time, the tank, it was really a very, very special moment where it kind of, like, it was a moment of awe of someone who took their work so seriously. And also, it she basically built this endurance that would allow us to maximize the time we had in the tank which was, we really couldn't have anticipated.
2: Yeah, because she she, she would just stay in the water because she knew every changeover, if she got out of the water would add time. Um, and we, we had to make our shoot days. So she was such a trooper. She would say, okay, you know what, I'm fine. Let's keep rolling. But I'm talking like four to six to eight hours in the water. Um, I mean, she was, she really became an extraordinary athlete, like the person that she's depicting. And I think, um you know the benefit of that too, with the crew and everybody else, you know how she shoots shoots our arduous days, no one could complain, right? Yeah. Because our number one was in the water, swimming all day. And I think she really elevated the um the entire you know production, really. Um, we just felt so inspired and lucky to be able to work with her every day. Um, her dedication and commitment was very clear and I think I, it upped everybody's game. Mm.
1: And one thing that really struck me watching the film was just how much time you spend um, on Diana's failures or, you know, maybe failures is not the right word and her, att- her failed attempts. Um, and that really drew me in and kind of separated it from other kind of films um, about athletes that I'd seen uh, before. Kind of, why was it important for you to spend more time with her trying um, than with her winning? It's
0: a good question. Um, Well, I think in real life, she did spend a lot more time trying than she did winning. (laughs) The swims were always a vehicle for us to explore the other challenges that like the question is like what compels someone to do this and how do they prepare to do it and what is she swimming away from and what is she swimming towards like in a bigger way so you know i would say like the first swim you see in the film is really this question of yes yeah, it's been 32 years since you were you tried this but there's muscle memory like how does it how does your body remember and then when you're faced with exactly the same thing happening again, the currents are too strong. And what is that like? And how do you pick yourself up from it? So I think each swim was about something. And um, and that's why we looked at them.
2: Yeah, like, yeah, and I mean, like that first swim, she's really struggling with that doubt that you have. Any athlete who's chasing a really difficult dream she's literally facing the same issues that caused her to fail in her 20s, right? So she's kind of reliving that and that she has to overcome that. And, and like each of these swims, like Chai said, is you know, addressing something that she has to overcome. Um, I also think that you know it's very true to the world, that sort of world of adventure and these big expeditions and these big missions, like these impossible dreams, don't come easy, you know, and, and it's not, you know, that you get it on your first try or your second try or your third try. And, um, it's how you come back from failure that really kind of defines who you are. And as you see in the film, um, Diana leverages that failure to, to learn and to, to refine and to keep trying, uh, but it all speaks to her kind of indomitable spirit, right? And and in the end, um, it is that it is her her indomitable spirit, that perseverance, that tenacity that that um, comes through, and that's what we were trying to capture.
1: <laughs> and you know, the there's a few moments, especially when she's swimming where there the film moves into her subjective perspective um you know call it you know meditation or disassociation or something between how did you how much freedom did you allow yourselves to go wild with those moments where you're completely in Diana's perspective as she's swimming i mean i think you know,
2: Julia Cox, the writer, spent a lot of time with Diana. Uh, We had a lot of examples and conversations with Diana to understand what that was like. Uh, But in a lot of ways, I was also drawing from my experience as a professional athlete that has, you know, gone to great lengths and knows what that feels like and what it feels like to live in your mind, really, in order to kind of Push beyond these limits, in um, some ways, it's it's that space in your mind that kind of you can occupy it so that you kind of f- forget the pain and forget, you know, um, what you're going through. And so we loved exploring that space, um, and we wanted to kind of bring that world to an audience. What's it like to be? Um, suffering like that and still being able to push through, you know, um, she, she had major hallucinations when she was, when she was, um, swimming those distances. Uh, and she also, you know, like we often do, like when, you know, when you go for a run, you're kind of, you get to that place where you're not really in your body anymore and you're just thinking about what's going on and time goes by and uh we were hoping to bring that
1: Hmm.
2: sense to to the audience
1: and can you let's talk a little bit about the practicalities of filming something a story that takes place you know half of it takes place in the ocean can you tell me a little bit about the considerations you had to keep in mind when filming in or on water you know the the lights, the lenses, the setup that you had um, with the actors and with your crew, what did that look like?
2: Well, I think Chai and I assumed that since we had filmed in most of the most, in most of the like most extreme environments in the world that, you know, water would not be that big of a deal. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, we were told water is one of the hardest to shoot. And, and we, we quickly learned why, you know, it's not that everything takes twice as long or three times as long. It's more like five or 10 times as long. And, you know, every time you reset in the, in the water um, takes a lot of time. And, you know, there's so much coordination with the different moving parts, camera shots, then there's the performances if they don't all line up perfectly everything can be done well except for you might want have one element missing right so you know i think directors are probably very familiar with that but in in this case it was it was quite the challenge and um you know i we were very very fortunate to work with claudia miranda who is you know, a world-class, extraordinarily talented DP. And, you know, we really focused on a few things, which was how do you keep it interesting shooting someone swimming endlessly? Mm -hmm. And beyond that, how can we push, you know, the cinematography of shooting in the water? What kind of technology can we use to kind of take it to the edge or bring something new and so, uh, you know, we we did leverage some of the newest, latest technology, these smaller cameras where we could swim right underneath her. Um, we had an incredible underwater DP named Pete who was, you know, swimming underneath, holding his breath. He wasn't using a tank for these massive laps with this huge camera. Well, a much smaller camera than people have had before, but it's still a, it's still a big setup. Um, and you know, we had these devices. You know, Claudia created this this thing we called the SS Miranda, where he built this kind of half-submerged box that we'd roll down this rail so that you could shoot from within the box and show you know these over-under shots where you could see above the water and below the water. But it wasn't like the normal Wide-angle fisheye lens type of thing. You were actually pulled back and shooting into a window, mm-hmm. and, and you'll see a few of those shots in the in the film. But logistically, very challenging. Um, every setup took a, a long time, and and it was really about every time you had to reset. You know, you'd have to move the boat all the way back, move every all the kayakers, move you know all the cameras. Um, just for a single take, you know? And then of course the weather would change and the light would change, you know, just. <laughs> um, we were battling a lot of the elements uh, for every single shot in that movie. Oh
1: my God. And can you um, talk a little bit more? I'm, I'm very curious about, you know, you've sort of hinted at it, but working with um, two directors of photography, um, Pete for the underwater scenes, and Claudio, I imagine, for the over-the-water scenes. Kind of how did that collaboration um, work in in practice?
0: Well, I mean, Claudio Miranda was our director of photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete, Pete Zuccarini was our underwater DP, and yeah. they had worked together before in Life of Pi. I mean, like, Pete really is the best in the world, but so is Claudio, what they do. So I think it's very, um, it was very organic, and You know with someone like pete like you you don't worry about him getting into the shot he knows it so well and we gave him very much a lot of freedom to try to push what he was able to do and you know it was also about his ability to allow annette to be comfortable while he was so close to her um and i mean i just they're just it's like a level of craft that you know can't be overstated just just to, there's so much going on at every single time, and it just Pete, but they were finely oiled machine over there. Yeah. yeah, and I
2: mean, I think we would we would kind of see if we could get multiple shots at the same time. You know, we were, it, that's one of the things that we would be talking about is like if this shot that we're shooting above the water, if Pete could still be shooting underneath, and how far back would he need to be? Those kind of um, more logistical issues. Uh, because, you know, we're trying to get as much as we possibly can for every single move and reset. Um, and and we did a lot of that, you know, which which opened up things a bit. But, you know, as directors, you're kind of always trying to maximize every single take, you know. Um, and, and that was that was fun for us.
1: And. Moving on a little bit onto to sound, um, can you talk me through kind of the, the vision that you had or what or maybe you discovered it in the edit um, for the soundscape of the film? And I'm including here kind of not just the sound design, but also the work with your composer and the occasional like needle drops that exist in the film kind of. Did that was that in the text, in the script? Did you have very strong ideas for it going in or did you find that as you shot?
0: I think the music was, the needle drops, the songs were really important in terms of locating Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is really important to the real Diana. She would swim to a 4-4 beat and the songs would help her pass the time and also kind of focus when she was especially losing control over kind of her faculties. Um, um so that seemed like an important way that we could allow audiences to connect with her because those are some of all of our favorite songs. Um, I think it was our VFX supervisor who said that the VFX put the film into the water, took the, the film out of the tank and the sound put the film into the ocean. You know, And I think that really sums it up well. Um, you know it's a strange thing swimming like you can't talk while you swim, and creating the visual cue like the actually the emotional cues within the soundscape was something really important to us, creating a texture that could allow it could either both underline the distance that between her and Balmy or bring them closer um you know, I think so much of the storm is about how it sounds um, mm-hmm. I think you know, so much of her hallucinations is also that sound, like this, like, trippy soundscape that she's living in. Um, and I have to say that, you know, working with Alexander Desplat was a really special experience. Kind of for the first time in my life, like, he, he, he presented a score that I could never have heard in my head for my film. If that makes sense. But it is perfect for it. And his mastery over... Not just kind of like the nuts and bolts of composition, about but about what a movie. How his like really close listening to our film and and then coming up with it was it was just very very special to see someone at that level work
2: like you know as he's creating right in front of your eyes. Yeah, he he also he, you know he doesn't listen to the temp music. He he watches the movie and but the music and so. <laughs> You know, there, there's a few moments where he just comes up with something completely different than what we had imagined, kind of like Chai said, that was surprising and that was like another level deeper than than we had really anticipated getting, if that makes sense. So I think we were just, I mean, I felt like we were so lucky. We were surrounded by so many great, great, great craftsmen and craftspeople, Claudio and alexander and jody and, and and that and so so many people on but, the on the project
0: but what was interesting about the sound was that we've had the same supervising sound editor from for every film we've ever made her name's mm-hmm. deborah Wallach. and i met her actually when i was working with mike nichols over 20 years ago um and she had always been a dialogue editor mm-hmm. and an hr specialist but because the docs were smaller like she would she was like she would take on more, uh, more responsibility. And, you know, it's it was, you know, she won a bunch of awards for free solo and it was nice to bring her with us, you know, onto NIAD, where she'd always worked on big features, but with a specific job and suddenly she was controlling the stage, you know, and mm-hmm. it was, I don't know, like we, it was a very special experience and she, and the, what we love about Deborah, which comes from her work on ADR, as well as in dialogue editing, is the attention to like every detail matters. Every detail is speaking and contributing to something. And, you know, I think people often overlook that in, in sound. You and, know? and, you
2: know, Chai loves, Chai, Chai is like the, the sound audio
0: like kind of I expert like, in I, this partnership.
2: I mean, I think she's just had so much experience working with such great, you know, mixers like Tom Fleischman, Tommy Fleischman, and, you know, has always been very attuned to it. Um, And I just want to say one other thing about the soundscape, too, is just that separation of, like, the world underwater and the world above water. And and those transitions and kind of living in those two different worlds, um, when they kind of intersect, you know, those were all things that, um, you know, we were really focused on and hoping people would be able to have that experience.
1: Was there um, a moment either in the production or in the edit, um, you know, I love the way that you guys talk about the sound and the music and kind of those details as well as your collaborators bringing something that you couldn't, you know, even foresee or imagine. Um, Was there a moment where you knew that something that maybe had been a bit of a challenge in the making of the film or in the edit just kind of clicked into place?
0: I think the biggest question with that was the archival footage. I think we didn't mm. understand if, we didn't know if the brain would allow you to have two Dianas, one the real Diana and then the other one Annette's Diana. And that was, you know, very clear that it was, un- it was very clear that it was going to be a question. And I think the first time we screened it, we we're like, nope, it's fine. It's totally fine. And it's a testament to, the truth that Annette brings to her performance of Diana Nyad
1: and that somehow we get away with it. Was it important for you to have that element of, uh, of archival footage in the film? Only if
0: it worked for the film. I mean, we're not, there's like, we're not that type of filmmaker, but you know, that Johnny Carson clip of the real Diana Nyad, it really doesn't get any sexier or better as a character moment. So we hoped you know, but it's strong. And so the question really was whether the film could hold it, and it did. And actually, I think it's added it's like quite additive in terms of the experience. And I think that gets back to what I was saying in the beginning about you know it was really important for me to include that nineteen eighty nine clip of the real Diana talking about her abuse because it's not is not just a fictional film. like this is, you know, <laughs> it's real events that happened. And, you know, it was important to try to underline and like play with that idea of like, the spoken truth.
2: You know, Chai and I talked about this quite a bit, and I, I was, you know, not very sure if it was work, if it was going to work. I think Chai, you know, really specializes too in the in the edit in terms of kind of pushing the edit. I think when she kind of proposed this idea, um, you know, we we had to see if it worked, and what. I saw as the film evolved was that you know Chai was really pushing the edge of how far she could take it. It wasn't whether it worked because once it worked, then she she has this knack for always pushing and pushing and pushing. And so um, it worked, and I found that I think we found that it it, it gives of a, a visceral experience when you are. When you play some of those shots of her swimming in the ocean from the actual events, you know it it, it shifts it a, a bit, and and so I think you know we we really wanted to and to Chai's credit push push the edit in that way, um, and hopefully it worked for everybody.
1: And um, before I open up to uh, questions from the Directors UK members, I want to circle back to something you mentioned at the start of our conversation, Chai, about kind of wanting to create these two very full roles for women. Um, And we haven't spoken about Bonnie at all, which is sacrilegious, but can you tell me a little bit about the, the central relationship of the movie, the fight between Diana and Bonnie? Kind of what was... Um, what was crucial for you to get across from their emotional partnership and, you know, and their athletic collaboration as well?
0: I mean, I think the central part is this idea of chosen family. I think that both Diana Nyad and Bonnie Stoll and Jodie Foster come from a generation of women who whose families probably didn't support their choices, um, or may not have supported their choices, and where this idea of chosen family was incredibly important. And I think. That what's so special about Jodie Foster's Bonnie is that she provides this deep anchoring of the friendship, and like somehow through her eyes, you can come to understand Diana and, love Diana. and love Diana. She's um, not easy to love, and you know, I would disagree, and I that I think that's a disservice. Okay, it's okay. Um, I mean, in no, but that's the point. Is yeah. that It has to, we were really committed to creating these full characters that, you know, you don't get to see very often women in their 60s or lesbians or um, trick, like people who are women who are allowed to be complicated and not perfect all the time and who are allowed to want something really badly and want it more than not be afraid, not be like embarrassed about wanting it. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, both Jodi and Annette really understood that. And, you know, but it was about that friendship to make it work and to give it like a heart and not for it to feel as painful, you know, but it is painful, you know, and that's kind of the, I found the real joy and the real kind of like fabulousness of the film was the complexity.
1: And um, I'm not the, I think the audience is a little bit shy. So before I let you go, I just have one last question. And as a big, fan of what some people call, um, unlikable female characters. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of their relationship. And, you know, um, I wanted to ask you kind of what would you like audiences to take away from not just the real life story of, of Diana Nyad, but about this film and the way that you've centered the relationship between Diana and Bonnie, as well as her, um, her ambition and her, her dedication to her ambition?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things you can take away from it, but I'll tell you the one that I have like really come to embrace, like at least personally, is there's something about knowing that Diana Nyads are out there that allow me to feel even more comfortable in my own skin and, you know, and be more comfortable with my own ambition, my own vision, my own desire to see it realized. And I think like there's, an interesting thing about athletes and artists that you know it, it takes such a singular faith or singular like deranged vision to, to try to do this stuff and i feel safer in the world knowing that people are watching diana's story you know
2: and i would say uh courage because i think it's hard to- you know, sometimes to understand how much courage it takes to have an impossible dream, to convince everybody to get on board to this dream, knowing that you could fail. You know, I mean, you are accountable to so many people, including yourself, when you have something this big that you're trying to achieve. And that reaching for a dream is is really the most vulnerable spot, I think, for, for us as humans, like it really is. And it takes so much courage to even have the dream, to try and execute the dream and then to succeed. So um, I think it's a it's a film about courage.
1: Thank you both so much. Um, we've run out of time, but before I hand over to Toyin, um, just wanted to say thank you to both you, Chai and Jimmy, for your time and your um, generosity tonight. Yes. Thank you for having us. Thank this you. was really fun.
0: This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more directors in conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com.